Welcome to the Woe Podcast about horses and horsemanship. I'm John Hare, and you found the place where we talk horses. Today, we're talking veterinary medicine. I'm with Dr. John Tully and Dr. Edgardo Ordonez-Jones at Bakersfield Large Animal Hospital. Dr. Tully, Dr. Jones, thanks for being here and welcome to the show. Dr. Tully, we're here to welcome Dr. Ordonez, a newly graduated vet to your practice, and find out what it's like to go through veterinary school in the 21st century. But before we do, Bakersfield Large Animal Hospital and the old Bakersfield Veterinary Hospital, which you were a part of, has a long history. Can you give us a brief overview? When did this all begin? Bakersfield Veterinary Hospital, to my knowledge, was started in Bakersfield in 1923. They had a piece of property down on South Chester Avenue where they did large animals and small animals out of that property. It was a fairly large piece of uh, urban property. They had a kennel, quite a large small animal practice, and they did out of, out of the side, they did ambulatory large animal practice. And there's been a long string of veterinarians, generations of veterinarians who've worked there. Every uh, six or eight years, there's a new generation that comes in. So in my office, I have a plaque of of all the veterinarians that have worked there. Uh, One in particular, I recall, taught me small animal endocrinology at UC Davis, so he'd gone on to bigger and better things, for sure. In 1965, uh, you know, my mentor, Dr. Byland Filkins, came, and they had just opened the large animal practice on Weibel Road. Uh, I think they also did some small animal work there. Uh, in the day. So in 1965, they had a, a true large animal hospital facility and have worked there, worked there for quite a while. The year I moved there in 1983, the year I came, uh, they had opened a small animal practice pretty much on the same prop- property as a separate building. So when I came in 1963, uh, I was the fourth large animal veterinarian there were two small animal practitioners on the Weibel property uh, in their separate building and two were downtown at the Chester Avenue facility. Uh, I never did small animal practice. Uh, for the most part, we started in in large animal practice. When I came, the practice was about 50% large, uh, food animals, beef cattle mostly, a little bit of dairy. I think we'd sold the majority of the dairy practice to Michael Kerfoot a few years before. Uh, and then, of course, 4-H sheep and goats and pigs and uh, show calves and probably 50% horses. Uh, so I, I was kind of lucky. I got in at the, at the bottom of the last recession. 1983 was a, a pretty tough year for the horse business. So uh, everything I saw was up from there until 2009. Uh, by 2009, at our large animal practice, still part of Bakersfield Vet Hospital, there were five veterinarians, including me, doing mostly equine and a little bit of large animal work. In 2008, the small animal group of Bakersfield Veterinary Hospital opened a new, quite large building uh, over on Harris Road and combined their practices over there and started in uh, working over there. Uh, we sold the property on Chester Avenue and we continue to practice at the Weibel facility, or I, I continue to practice at the Weibel facility. Things got a little tough in 2009. 
the horse business died pretty much in Bakersfield uh, by 2014. I was by myself and working my way back, <laughs> back up from there. Uh, so the vagarities of life. In 2018, Bakersfield Veterinary Hospital decided they wanted to not be in the horse business anymore or the large animal business, and they retired me. And so I uh, took the large animal practice, partnered with Catherine Kelly, my practice manager. We brought on Dr. Uh, Hector Gonzalez, and in 2018, May, we moved, we bought this practice and moved over here to to Taft Highway, where we currently are. And just recently, we've uh, had the privilege of having Dr. Ordonis Jones come join us. So at this point, we're uh, back to three people on a two and a half person practice, probably. We're enjoying this new place out in the country with some shade and some grass. And so that's where we're at today. Thank you. Dr. Tala, you mentioned the old Bakersfield Veterinary Hospital had a large piece of urban property on South Chester. And people who grew up in Bakersfield in those early days, 1970s, were very familiar with that building because it had a huge statue of a horse on top of that building. You could give people directions by, go to the building with the big horse, and it's four blocks down from that. In high school, I worked for a small animal practice on the other side of town, and I knew Dr. Banks, one of the... Uh, founding members of Bakersfield Veterinary Hospital, and he really impressed me with how much importance he put on continuing education. How important is continuing education in today's veterinary practice? Well, I would be in big trouble if I had to rely on what I left school with in 1983 uh, to do what I do today. I've become a fairly specialized equine medicine person, and I had a dabbling of that as much as I tried very hard to learn it in veterinary school. But in the day that I went to veterinary school, they taught you what they thought you ought to know about veterinary medicine, and I probably was uh, as good at dogs as I was at horses when I left school. And so learning has been a, a lifetime and constant thing. Uh, I was very privileged to... Uh, worked for Dr. Mylon Filkins, worked for and with him for many years, uh, a great acquirer of knowledge. Uh, Dr. Wayne Knittle was a very fine horseman and surgeon. I, I learned a lot from him. And they encouraged me and we encouraged each other uh, to go out every year on our continuing education three days and uh, learn all we could about what we were doing, bring things back to the practice, try to teach the other guys what you learned and try to have the courage to implement something new. And it's, it's a lifetime endeavor, and, and medicine and science changes quickly. Luckily, horses don't. There's new things all the time, and it's, a, it's quite a challenge to figure out what is brand new and useful, what's brand <laughs> new and you need to wait and watch the other guy fail with it, and drop the things that probably you like to do but are are getting out of date and, and hit that happy medium between being well-informed <laughs> and and brave enough to do new things and, and not just stick with the old stuff that may or may not work as well. So, you know, that's, that's a challenge in any art or in any science, but it's certainly been a challenge for me. And a great way to bring in new information is to hire a newly graduated vet 
Welcome to Bakersfield, Dr. Ordonez. Thank you, thank you. Glad to be here. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey through veterinary school and how you ended up in Bakersfield? Yeah, so I've been asked this question many times, and I think that I choose as a departing point. My father is a horse trainer, and so he has done horses um, uh, that have been used in charreria and uh, with the Mexican um, uh, community here in California. And so he used to do the first event uh, with the horses when they do the sliding stuff and then they do the turns and all that. So that's the Carla Charra. And slowly but surely he was brought uh, Andalusians and Aztecas and some Frisians here and there. And so he kind of was told what to, I guess, specialize in. And so then he started dabbling in more of these horses, just uh, elements of, of Spanish uh, uh, high school, alta escuela. And so. Um, since seven years of age and I've been around horses and I saw that our community wasn't just didn't uh, get the services of veterinarians or just didn't have the comfort to have a veterinarian um, be a general or more a commonplace resource to have at, at hand. So, so I've always kind of carried that in my back pocket thinking of that and then come time for school. People started telling me, well, you should uh, go to college and this and that. And it wasn't really as a first generation Mexican-American, I don't think uh, many times, is uh, the path isn't paved. You're going to make it as you go. And people always say, echele ganas, echele ganas. So uh, put effort in it, um, work for it. But you don't really know how to do it, but you kind of make it up as you go. And so that's been my experience. So I went ahead and did uh, community college and then I transferred to uh, University of California, Davis. I finished an animal science bachelor's degree there. And then I worked at the vet med teaching hospital as a an animal technician for a year. And then I, I applied to vet school and then I got in. Thanks be to God and to Iowa State University College of Vet Med. And so I went out there in 2018 and um, newly graduated. Is it still very difficult to get into veterinary school? Do you pretty much have to have a bachelor's degree? Yeah, so I know several of my peers at, at Iowa State that uh, just completed their prerequisites. So they didn't even uh, finish their bachelor's degree. I don't know what, in terms of statistics, uh, what are we looking at of people that do not finish that, but I knew also a good amount of my colleagues that I also had a, a master's degree. So not only the bachelor's, but also the master's. And that would have been my next step had I not gotten in in that first cycle of applications that I submitted. And how did you decide on coming to Bakersfield? So uh, as fate would have it, I think uh, my colleague, Miss Megan Marner, is Dr. Tali's niece. And she said, hey, you're from California. My uncle's in California. You should go meet him. And I said, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll think about it. And I ended up coming out here. I asked Dr. Tali, I told, I prefaced the question one day, I said, Dr. Tali, this is kind of like the soft stuff, but what is it, what are, what is your value statement? What is your mission statement? And then he told me, and, and I thought that meshed with what I wanted to see in my career. I needed a mentor, and so I came to Bakersfield, and I think I found it. Dr. Ardonius, do you have a special field of interest in veterinary medicine? So I think uh, internal medicine spikes my interest. I... I like to do things with my hands, so I like to um, get a needle holder and try to stitch things up. And But I think the medicine part, to me, kind of 
satisfies me and i know i have many cases to go through and they're not going to be as satisfactory but i think that trying to piece together the the puzzle and being the detective it really fits me and for our listeners when you say internal medicine what does that cover yeah so in terms of uh i guess in in general medicine of uh, in dealing with the equine species we can well i think about maybe the two big branches of medicine, either a surgeon and you would go on to a residency and get a specialty training. And that would either be after doing a couple of internships, in some cases up to four or five internships. Oh and, yeah, and then getting accepted into a residency. And then the other branch being the internal medicine. So doing another a residency as well. And then um, going through phases of examinations and then being accepted, inducted into the college, so the specialty college mm-hmm. of either internal medicine or uh, surgery. Internal medicine to me, I think, is uh, so uh, cases that are endocrinology cases, uh, infectious disease cases. Um, those are the two big things that I think about when internal medicine and uh, surgery being some type of surgical option for a colic case or and dealing with sports medicine sometimes arthroscopy so joint um, health and uh, surgery as well very many things but more uh, either sports medicine or cases that need um, intervention through surgery or more a medical and dr ordonez you've been here a couple of months now and oh i guess this question could be for either of you what trends or philosophies have you noticed? Is there a difference in the way you two practice medicine? Well, he remembers the terminology a lot better than I do. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we talk about different things, but he's got better words than I do. They're fresher in his memory. That's right. <laughs> at this point, I appreciate uh, Dr. Donius Jones has had a, a very good education, and he is work diligently at acquiring the knowledge that he needs to, to come here. Uh, I certainly don't find uh, that he's lacking in any particular branch of knowledge. When I ask a question, he's got an answer. He's going the right way with it. Uh, we're not in, in any particular conflict. I think what he has come here to learn and what I have to teach is, is timing to some degree, application, which, which cases to wade into, when do you need to wade into them, when do you have the judgment to say, I, I don't think I need to on this horse, I can wait a little while and see how he does without a lot of intervention or expensive intervention. And so it's that kind of judgment. A lot of that comes from just seeing a lot of them. Sometimes you're wrong in those judgments, but um, I, I think that's kind of more the guidance I see he needs. Uh, rather than my teaching him from scratch um, equine medicine. I, I don't feel like I'm having to do that. And Dr. Jones is quite physically talented. He's a pretty good athlete. His eyes work with his hands. He sews well. He can tube a horse. He's a farrier, handles feet well. And so he comes, I mean, I'm lucky. He comes here with a lot more of those hand-to-eye skills uh, that a lot of veterinary students don't have right. and have to learn the hard way. Between his horsemanship as a young man, his time at Davis, his time probably pretty well spent at, at the University of Iowa, I'm not having to teach him the basics of, of the 
technical things we do to horses every day, at least not so far. I, I can give hints, but it's not. Some people have come here in the past and don't know it, and they don't. Know, they haven't tubed two horses in their life. They haven't castrated a horse. You've got to teach every one of those procedures, which is appropriate, but I don't see myself having to do that very often uh, with Dr. Adonis Jones. Very cool. Dr. Tully, you mentioned working under the horse in the heat, and we're right in the middle of a heat wave here in Bakersfield. Are there any tips or suggestions that you can give our listeners for how to deal with the extreme heat that we sometimes experience here? I know there's the usual plenty of water. Plenty of water, um, access to shade, monitoring them. Looking for those subtleties, sometimes we get, we've been seeing a couple of cases now that very keen owners have noticed that the horses just aren't being themselves. Just aren't being themselves, they, and by that, they, maybe they lay down a little bit more, they're not overtly sick, maybe they're dropping their feed consumption, and then that could be a horse that might need intervention sooner is, rather than later. Is colic the biggest concern in the heat? Colic being one that they get behind on their hydration status, but also if you have a horse that is teeter-tottering, it has some chronic thing going on, and say big heat wave hits them and they do get dehydrated, but they have maybe another end of a hormonal issue, and then they go off the cliff and then they have issues with their hooves. So we've seen the the, li- the list of heat stressed causes in horses are. are pretty long and it's interesting to sit here year after year and live through this is going to be my 40th August here through August and September in Bakersfield and and when you get those strings of bad weather meaning over 100 in the day and over 70 at night and you put in 10 or 15 of those together it's amazing how many horses become compromised and it's not just colic colic acute diarrheas deep leg infections sheath infections. Uh, we've had a liver or horse, two liver horses in the last two weeks, wow. uh, ascending bacterial infections into their liver. Founder is a bad one, especially on those horses, as Dr. Uh, Donis Jones said, that are already metabolically on the edge and you get that kind of weather and you'll get, you know, laminitis and founder cases. We've had three or four already in the last two weeks. This kind of weather is hard on horses. One of the biggest things I get concerned about is automatic waters. A black, shallow automatic water in the sunshine is how many? 170 degrees. And you, that horse is needing 15, 20 gallons of water a day. And I think it's, if not all the time in this time of year, I think we need to put out deep waters or trash cans or something where he can get all the water he needs and it's not frighteningly hot to him where he has to manipulate that thing. Plus when the water's that hot, the algae just seems to grow really fast and the water doesn't taste good. They don't drink it. It's nothing wrong with, you know, a two gallons of water and some Gatorade and a quarter bran mash, you know, twice a day. That'll keep a lot of marginal horses pretty hydrated, and it's not that hard to do, and they like it, you know what I mean? So something that certainly works when I'm shipping horses to horse shows, and they're not quite as happy about drinking the water in another town, but we can remember to do that at home, too. And And on top of the heat, it's fire season, and the air quality's not that good either. 
our horses are up there in age. So, you know, we're just giving them some time off until it cools down a little bit. Well, that's not wrong. I mean, I was out this morning at 6.30. It was 75 degrees <laughs> at 6.30. It was not bright, cool, and fresh, that's for sure. Well, this has been a lot of fun and very informative. Thank you, Dr. Talley. Welcome to Bakersfield once again, Dr. Ardonias, and thanks for being on the show. Thank you, John. It's been fun. Thank you, John. That'll do it for this episode. Thanks to Dr. Tolly and Dr. Ardonias Jones for taking the time to talk about horses with us. The golden triangle of people important to your horse's welfare are your veterinarian, your farrier, and your trainer. It's essential you choose each one of these with care and consideration. I look for an experienced and knowledgeable veterinarian. I also want someone who offers more than one line of treatment when available. Last, I want a veterinarian who understands the age and value of our horses and how we use them and adjust treatment options to fit our specific needs. Veterinary knowledge and diagnostic technology are advancing in leaps and bounds. Staying current with that knowledge not only helps your horse live a healthier life, but helps you when deciding on your horse's care. I'll have contact info and other links and photos of Bakersfield Large Animal Hospital in the show notes at wopodcast.com. As always, if you'd like to share a story or experience about your horse or suggest the guest, let's hear it. Send an email to john at wopodcast.com or connect with me on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram under the name Podcast. It's great hearing from you. Thanks again for listening and sharing the podcast with your friends and riding buddies. Until next time, for Renee, this is John Hare saying, go have some fun with your horses. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye-bye.